0: This is the shift podcast.
1: Today on the shift daily podcast. New survey says over 30% of Canadians are facing insolvency, not able to pay the bills. So what options do you have? Are you alone in that? I know that you know, month to month, it's dicey here in the Hewitt house if we're gonna make all the bills pay with all the activities of the kids firing up again. Licensed Insolvency Trustee Doug Hoyes from Ontario gives us some answers and reminds us that no one is alone in the Battle of Debt. So don't be ashamed to talk about it. Don't be afraid to talk about it. And that's what he wanted to do was start the conversation. Will we ever see aliens? Greg Fish talks about AI versus aliens and who's coming to visit. Plus the International Dispatch, Sir Christopher Gilbert, live from Tokyo with an update on the week leading into the Olympics and what's the tone.
2: Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. So if
1: you're not familiar with Sir Christopher Gilbert, he is uh, he was a former shift head here and part of the team. And then he's a Kiwi who came to Canada, worked here, and then he moved away back to Japan because he lives to live there too. So, yeah, he's a little lost, but he's one of our favorites. And he is in Tokyo right now where there is, uh, Chris, you said... One thousand eight hundred thirty six COVID cases in Tokyo today.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's the new number is one eight three six as of today. So I'm gonna
1: put put so that I'm into here. context for everybody. Uh the province, the population of Ontario is about fourteen and a half million. The population of the city of Tokyo is fourteen million. So just to give some perspective on the COVID numbers that we saw in Ontario, all in one city. Um yeah. Uh, squished into roughly the same, roughly the same amount of people.
0: And I will say that COVID nineteen tests are much harder to get here, so um, I think the number will actually be much higher than that. Um, most people uh, will try and go to a cl- clinic uh, to get a COVID nineteen test and be met with a ni man yen or twenty thousand yen, which is about, I guess, two hundred Canadian dollars. That's the price tag for a PCR test here. Um, Whoa. The, 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 yeah, if you really have symptoms, like if you have a fever and you have coughs and you can't taste anything or whatever the Delta symptoms are, headache and runny nose, um, you can use your health insurance if you have health insurance, which is public here, uh, to lower it down to about 20 bucks. Um, but I, I I would say that testing is on the much lower side compared to Canada. So that number may be moderate too. Yeah. But yeah, it's, wow. it's happening. It's all happening, Shane. <laughs> It's going we had a text
1: on. come in last night that I wanted to uh, that I wanted to address with you because it came in, and I thought it'd be a great way to start our conversation today. It was, "What is mm. the proper way to pronounce Tokyo? Is it Tokyo or is it Tokyo? Or uh, since you're there and um, and and you're the expert, why don't you help us out?"
0: Oh, it's interesting. Actually, can I tell you a little anecdote first, um, which is Absolutely. that uh, I. I, I was doing uh, a, a report for Radio New Zealand uh, uh, back in my home country uh, this week. And uh, in, in New Zealand, uh, they're doing a lot more uh, te reo Māori, like the language of Māori on the radio uh, to, you know, obviously keep the, um, the Māori language uh, uh, afloat and, and thriving. And obviously, there's been met with a lot of kind of like ignorant backlash and such. The thing mm. is that Japanese and Maori kind of share the same vowel sounds and kind of have the same structure to how the, lang- uh, the the sounds of the language work. So the the um the host I was talking to was like, anyway, here over in Tokyo, in his Kiwi accent, and he goes, oh, actually, that's a little bit too New Zealand, and he changed it to um over in Tokyo, and apparently he got a texter and a few minutes later saying, stop shoving today Maori down our throats. <laughs> ah, really. And it's like, yeah, just the the listener had totally confused Japanese and Maori. But um, what are you gonna do? Well, Tokyo, you have <laughs> to con- you, you have to <laughs> you have to pretend that there's a U after each O. That's that is the correct way of saying. It. So instead of Tokyo, it's a to tokyo. So it's Tokyo is the correct way of saying it.
1: Okay, there's U's after yeah. all the things. Chris Chris yeah. U, Gilbert U. That is my name here. My name is Kurisu. Kurisu
0: Gilberto.
1: <laughs> that sounds fancy.
0: Yeah. What would you be? You'd be uh, Shane. Shane is Shane, I think. Hugh. They can't say Hugh. You'd be he- Shane Ueto, I think. That would good. be your Japanese name.
1: I like that. Yeah. I like being Japanese. It's yeah. fun so far. They have good beer. Uh, and, and Ryan,
0: your last name would totally trip them out. It'd be uh, Ryan <laughs> Odonarodudu.
2: Odonarodudu.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love oh, it. Dude, Give it to me. I'll take yeah, all it, the uh, syllables. Oh, dude. Like hearing someone say Ronald McDonald here is my favorite thing in the whole world. It's oh, like Ronaldarodudu. McDonald. It's like, it's so much fun. such a cool language. Dorarudakko is, oh no, it's, it's, it's an awesome language and uh, I'm still coming to terms with it. But um, anyway, to the news, yeah. Uh, what, uh, I would say that around the New Year's period, we had uh, kind of the peak of the pandemic so far, which is about two and a half thousand cases. Uh, then we had a state of emergency and uh, that squashed those numbers right down because everyone was like, well, wow, this is out of control. Let's uh, do our best, wear our mask, wash our hands, stay at home um and then they went down to a few hundred the problem is that since then we've only had seven weeks out of state of emergency the government keeps adding on weeks ad hoc all the time people are kind of sick of it and the most recent state of emergency coincidentally enough perfectly bookends the olympic dates starts right before the olympics ends right after the olympics and uh, in the meantime, in the middle of that is everyone's summer vacation, which has just got cancelled, while the IOC, is Thomas Bach, and a whole bunch of politicians can get together and have parties and stuff. And meanwhile, as uh, everyone in Canada well knows, that the uh, the work of preventing the spread of COVID is done by the public. It is the public who are wearing masks, washing their hands, thinking about whether they're take the bus or walk to work today you know, to prevent the spread. And that's how most people in Japan feel about the Olympics at the moment. It's like they're doing all the work and uh, they're having um, their summer holidays pulled out from under them by the uh, the pandemic. So the numbers are going to keep going up and up because honestly, nobody cares anymore.
1: Yeah. But that's so true though, right? That's the way it's been everywhere is the people who have done the work are the ones that seem to get punished the most.
0: Yep, absolutely. And and I, I, I there's an interesting, um, like um, there's a metaphor that I kind of discovered this week for the Olympics, which is that after the Olympic torch is lit, the Olympic torch is going to go to uh, this new thing called Tokyo, Tokyo waterfront, you know, which is kind of where the Olympic village is. And so the, the, the Olympic torch is going to sit in this, um, you know, well, I guess like a big lantern sort of thing on Tokyo waterfront, but no one can go look at it because of COVID-19. The crowd can't gather there and look at it. And so you've got the Olympic village, you've got the torch sitting there, but who is that for? And I think that is my, um, my ultimate question this week, Shane, I think, which has progressed from last week, just reading about Toyota pulling out, cancelling all their commercials because they feel like it's of uh, greater harm to their business um, to be associated with the games now. A whole bunch of other sponsors are pulling out. The manufacturers of the clothing, like Adidas and stuff, are trying to mute the colors of the... the um, the athlete's clothing so they don't stand out because they don't want to be associated. So if it's not for the sponsors, if they're running a loss in the billions for the games, it's hurting Japan's international image. My real question is, um, who is this for? Who is this all happening for? And I I feel like it's an incredibly difficult question that might not really have any answer, but it might uh, conjure some interesting thoughts.
1: Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, I wish I had an answer. I mean, there's no real smart-ass answer either, is there? Like, you can't really say no. that there's a smart-ass answer. I think the IOC gets an awful lot of um, – I think the IOC inherits an awful lot of bad rep from places like FIFA and stuff like that. Yeah. And the IOC does a lot sure. for sport around the world. And I'm not defending the IOC in this by any means because it's political and all that stuff. But all you have to do is look at the fact that how many cities have pulled out of even trying to get the games after after getting yeah. in on it right and then you look at the situation of all these things and i hope they figure it out because they're you know the olympics are incredibly special they're not supposed to be political it's supposed to be about sport and here you are with this uh dreadful event that even the local folks in tokyo can't even well like you said man can't even go see the lantern how crazy is that yeah
0: i know and you're right i think you summarized it really well like this dreadful event and i think i was watching um kind of a, a compilation of Olympic uh, opening ceremonies. And I, I the earliest one, I might be showing my youth here, but the earliest one I can remember is uh, the 1996 Atlanta, which is where the, the first time I was kind of like conscious of what the Olympics was and what was happening and such. Um, and I was like, Oh yeah, I love the Olympics, man. Like I love, I love watching all these cool air sports that you don't normally see, you know? Yeah. And I feel kind of gutted that it has that turned out to be like this. You know, I kind of wish maybe they could have made it 2024, just bumped everything back four years or something, you know. Um, I will just say uh, before we, we talk, start talking about Peppa Pig, um, where, is <laughs> that uh, Thomas Bach, the, uh, <laughs> the IOC chair, Thomas Bach, probably number one villain in Japan at the moment. Um, as we talked about last week, he confused the Japanese people with the Chinese people. Um, oh, and that, plus the fact that he went to this party, um, plus the fact he said there was zero risk of COVID spread, which is just obviously a lie. Um, but the, just the Chinese uh, people think. plus the fact that due to the Olympics, the tolls on the Tokyo uh, Metro Expressways, the, the highways here, have gone up by $10 a ride. That is probably the number, that uh, the two most effective ways... To absolutely pee off everybody in, in Tokyo, <laughs> like yeah. if you want to if you want to get under the skin of somebody in Tokyo, you call you know you mistake them for a Chinese person and, and then you uh, boost their road tolls. So <laughs> at the moment, the popularity of the Olympics is fifty to eighty percent opposed. Uh, about sixty percent saying cancel them entirely. Um, you know everyone agrees they shouldn't be spectators. Having said that. After I get off the the call with you guys, I'm going to go around to my friend's house and we're going to watch Australia versus New Zealand in the football. So, you know, we're all hypocrites at the same time.
2: Well,
1: and I was going to say that. Is that the first conversation that leads when you get together with your buddies now? Is, um, Is it COVID or is it the Olympics in Tokyo? What's the first conversation people have?
0: Oh, it's the Olympics now. Definitely, has taken over from COVID. Absolutely, I mean, we're we're so used to COVID, you know, but I, I think that um we blame we're blaming a lot of the COVID on the Olympics because I think uh, the public resentment at the uh, the Liberal Democratic Party, um, the government here, uh, the resentment is so strong that people are not complying, I think, anymore with the uh, the lockdown or quote unquote lockdown regu- um, requirements and regulations because. The attitude is well, if your if your public health measures in scare quotes are more about hiding the pandemic from the cameras of the Olympics and less about protecting us, then we're not going to follow them. So I think the two are really combined now because people on the COVID numbers are going up because of the Olympics, uh, kind of in a de facto way. And this is this is purely my opinion, but I think based in some fact uh, because people people are, are so just upset. And angry that, uh, you know, the the Japanese public is coming last at the moment.
1: Well, this falls squarely on the government. I mean, Japan was very slow on the uptick of of doses. I mean, when you look at even mainland China, China's dose rates started two and a half months before Japan started. Japan's was very slow in the uptick. There's been 71 million doses, which is a lot of doses. But when you look at how many people are there, they're basically, you know, half of the people have one dose. And, um, mm. you know, so, I mean, this falls squarely into the pol- politics of, of, of Japan. And yet the, the Olympics are taking the brunt of it. And it really was yeah. from the outside. Anyway, uh, the Japanese government's lack of action on vaccines that seems to have had the biggest impact here. Cause there's other countries in the world that yeah. are doing all right now. Yeah. I
0: mean, the, the thing with the Japanese government and the vaccine thing is, is mostly that, uh, they had to trial everything again, effectively, um, and this is going to make you know, all of the English-speaking world's eyes roll to the back of their head, but they, they had to trial Western medicine on you know, Japanese people, effectively. Uh, don't ask me anything about that, because I don't know anything about the reasons behind that. But the, the thing is that they had to trial all the medicine again uh, using Japanese tests. Uh, that slowed everything down. I think that if you look across the board at most countries, there have been um, New Zealand included, Canada included, America included, especially England, a lot of glitches at the start of the vaccine rollout. And mm-hmm. uh, Japan has had gl- uh, its own normal glitches. For example, they gave a uh, lot, they, um, Uh, made it the responsibility of local clinics to distribute Pfizer vaccines, but local clinics uh, prioritized customers who already existed at that clinic. And so if you were not a customer of any clinic, you couldn't get a vaccine, which caused a whole bottleneck. And so they had to get an auxiliary um, source of Moderna and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But yeah, there have been, I think, like uh, the the hiccups in the system are uh, flattening out now. Things are speeding up now but it was just that that trial period from february through april which was just nails on a blackboard every day just waiting and waiting and waiting and it's picking up now but um you know like summer is here the cicadas are chirping the sun is in the sky the rainy season is over it's all sunshine and rainbow shane really
1: the cicadas are chirping that's fun
0: um It's uh... it's a big thing here cicadas
1: yeah, we had a we did a big thing on on with a, a bug guy. It's on the uh the shift podcast for one check it out. Okay, so Christopher Gilbert is in Tokyo. He's our eyes and ears inside, literally like the friends and the coworkers attitudes inside Tokyo. Uh so Chris, we really appreciate that. Let's go around the world because we've got this Peppa the Pig thing, and then there's the story below it. I want to get to them both before we're done.
0: Excuse me, did you just call it Peppa the Pig? What did I Peppa say? Pepper the pig. It is. You said Pepper the pig. No, I don't know what I? what TV show you've been watching, but nobody should pepper a pig with anything, sir. It is Pepper Pig. <laughs>
1: pepper the pig. <laughs>
2: wow. do pepper me, tip- Shane.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: It is Peppa Pig, the beloved pig that everybody loves, especially parents, because it has occupied their children for the entire pandemic so far, while they're not at school and stuff. It's like, oh, watch the Peppa Pig again. You love Peppa Pig. Go, go watch Peppa Pig. And you don't have to worry about the kid anymore. The problem is, for many Americans, it is brainwashing their children to revert back to the old empire and become British. They're losing their American loyalties and their American accents. (laughs) And they're starting to say words like vegetable and privacy and and things like that and the americans are just up in arms about it and uh they're starting to instead of referring to my they're saying me like you know like i love my mom they're going oh i love me mom you know they're saying things like that all the time now so (laughs) the 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 american if you don't believe me it's true um i found a clip from a news story let's have a listen to that brenda it's called the peppa pig effect and uh, kids are starting to use words like tele and mom, uh, so it's so widespread
3: after the pandemic, it's becoming such an issue that they say that some parents are actually catching their kids referring to uh, Father Christmas instead of Santa Claus and telling
0: their little friends that they're going on holiday rather than vacation. Ridiculous. I love it. How dare, they. How dare they? That's Santa amazing. Claus and, and holiday. Oh my goodness. It's, it's like, it's insane. It's like these kids are clearly clearly losing their um, their imperial allegiances to, their, to the motherland. So uh, I love how the parents are mad at up. the
1: cartoon show that the parents have not been parenting during. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they can turn it off and say, hey, watch another show. But, it, hey, the Brits know what they're doing here. Man, that show? It's too late. It's very adult. It's too late now, Ryan. The cat's out of the bag. The kid's are British. That's it. There's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube. You've got British children now because you watch too much Netflix.
1: That's Why can't these happen? parents do what parents should do and put these kids in front of a tablet with The bachelorette or bachelorette in paradise on it like every good parent should?
0: I just really hope that one day, first of all, yes, Shane, you're right. But they're going to look out the window and see their kid in a cheese cutter hat, a tweed vest, smoking a pipe and like playing cricket in the backyard with the cat. And that's just going to be that's going to be off um, to the adoption agency with you, little Timmy. Um I, or they'll be drinking I, I Michelob
1: do... with a block of cheese on their head cheering at a football game with no pants on. So it could go either way.
0: That's true. I mean, it depends what what, you know, if you want your what English cast you want your child to be part of. It's like, look, if you're going to if you're going to be British, at least you know, buy a horse and go on a fox hunt, you know? Like we don't want you to be one of the other kind of the British kids. <laughs> I've got a clip. I've got a clip here of um Uh, Just very quickly, uh, a a little, a little girl. It's it's the third one, Brendan. uh, Speaking, she's from Charlotte, North Carolina, which I imagine has a really ripe American accent. I don't know what it is, but but this is a a, an American girl from Charlotte, uh, North Carolina.
1: That car is kind of (laughs) weird. Why? Because over there looks weird with the letters. With the what? With letters
3: over there.
0: That's cute. Yeah. There is is a strong British tinge there, I think.
1: You know. I think so. It's cute. I love it. Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, Let's move on. That's another pick for the day. Um, I had a a whole quiz prepared of like uh, I was going to say that your kid has become and give you a whole bunch of hints about what cartoon character your kid has become, and you would have to guess it. But uh, maybe next time. Uh, This one is purely – yeah, we'll save it. This one is purely for the headline because I actually read the story, which I very rarely do. Um, and the story is not very good. But let's just speculate on the headline, shall we? COVID 19 infected male shooter in Taiwan had sex with five people six times in five different hotel rooms, creating a cluster outbreak. A cluster <laughs> outbreak? <laughs> 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 mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that is literally. I mean, there's a joke to be made there, which is literally a cluster word I can't say on the radio.
1: <laughs> I don't understand how someone could actually get five people to get together six times and get the same five organize everyone's schedules. But I guess if you're offering the booty, then maybe that's uh, maybe that's Wait. the key.
0: Wait, are you reading that he had sex thirty times? No,
1: so that he had six, sex six with five each? people. Six times. six times like i i was thinking he was having like a group thing
0: oh oh so you get the same <laughs> i did it there's several ways to read it either he had oh. six with the same five people individually six times each so he had 6 30 That's times I heard it. or yeah or five people six times or so the same five people all together six times in five different hotel rooms the way i read it was he had six with five people and he had six six times and I felt really happy for the person who, you know, got a little bit of hubba dubba twice. Oh,
1: they got the bonus! That's,
0: yeah, they got literally the bonus. You know, so the bonus round. Five,
1: oh, God! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. Oh, yeah. uh, yeah, thanks. But yeah, um, five people,
0: six. Yeah, the way well, I read I, it was one person got one person got lucky twice.
1: Well, I was a little bit surprised that COVID nineteen was the only outbreak. Uh, Sir Christopher Gilbert. The International Dispatch, live from Tokyo. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate you being here.
0: Yeah, we'll see you guys again next week. This is The Shift Podcast.
1: Yesterday on The Shift, we were chatting with you about the state of the finances. We had some fun with it, of course. We talked about our guilty pleasures of things we like to go shopping and buy, especially when we're a little bit down, like post-pandemic, Looking for something to brighten up our days, maybe a little dopamine hit in the form of thank you, MasterCard. So we wanted to get a little professional advice as to what this looks like, and the information comes directly from Doug Hoyes. He is with um, Hoyes, Michael and Associates Licensee Insolvency Trustee in Ontario, and this is what they do in Doug, let's start there because not everybody understands that word. What's another word you could toss at it that people would connect with?
3: Well, there's two ways to think of insolvency. I don't have enough money to pay my bills. So that's what we call the cash flow definition. Mm -hmm. And then the other definition would be, I owe more than what I've got. Mm. So that would be the asset definition. So you can be insolvent either way. Um, We have a lot of people today who own houses which have gone way up in value. So on an asset basis, hey, I'm doing great. I got this house, mm-hmm. but you can be house rich and cash poor because I can't pay my bills every month. I got this this house, but I, I can't meet my bills. So th- those are the, the two ways you can think of insolvency. So not
1: necessarily bankrupt in the moment, but things are not going in the favor that this is sustainable is kind of how I hear that.
3: Yeah, and and you raise the key point that you insolvency is first, and then bankruptcy may be the end result of it. Right. So so let's take the case of someone, I just can't pay my bills. Right. You you mentioned credit cards. Okay, I can't pay my credit cards. Well, that doesn't mean I'm bankrupt. Bankrupt bankruptcy is a legal process where you come in to see a licensed insolvency trustee, we sign all the paperwork, it gets filed with the court system, and so on. That's that's bankruptcy, and there's conditions associated with that. Most people aren't bankrupt, but there are people who are insolvent because they haven't been able to pay their bills and maybe they're heading towards bankruptcy. They're just not there yet. Right.
1: Okay, how bad is it? I mean, I, I know that for me right now, I'm most certainly not paying. I mean, there's months now with kids' activities that I just don't make the end of the month. You know, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a solo dad here two kids very busy both teenagers that's pretty normal standard fare I would say for most people um, I guess I have the belief system that dipping into savings is uh, is is okay from time to time and and uh, but I can't be alone in that I can't be alone in the fact that yeah I buy some RSPs whatever and so on paper technically I'm probably 100 a hundred bucks ahead but the reality is is there's just not enough money coming in
3: yeah and I would say if you were to divide Canada into two groups, there are. there's one group that did pretty well over the last 16 months because of the pandemic. And then there's another group who got hammered by it. So the answer to the question, how are we doing today? Well, I guess it depends what group you're in. So if you were someone who at the start of the pandemic owned stuff, mm-hmm. you owned a house, you had you know stocks, that sort of thing, they've all gone up. So you're feeling pretty good about yourself right now. And You may have actually saved a lot of money during the pandemic because we've all been stuck at home, couldn't go out, couldn't go to restaurants, couldn't go on vacation. And that was a perfect built-in excuse not to spend money. Mm -hmm. And if you were able to work from home, your income stayed the same, but you weren't paying for parking and gas for your car and everything else. So there are a group of people who've done really well. But then you've got the other half, the other segment of the population who've been crushed by this. If if you worked at a restaurant or a you know, any personal services business, a place that cuts people's hair, then you got crushed by this because you might have been a chef for at the restaurant making three or four grand a month, and then COVID hits and now you're getting two grand a month in CERB or CRB or whatever. So it depends which group you're in to determine how this, the last 16 months has affected you. So here's what I'm afraid of. So Doug, uh, apply
1: your um, your uh, your expertise on this one. So I haven't been driving as much. My fuel spending is way down. I haven't been paying for parking. I most certainly have not been going out for lunch. So everything has become, I would say, pretty efficient here in the house. Well, I mean, I am perhaps paying off a little bit more of the debt that I have than I was before, I've taken on some of those uh, tasks and chores, but really when it boils down to it, I don't know how much I'm saving from the old world and repurposing in the new world. And now that we're crossing into this whole new, Hey, by the way, live life again, I'm going to be paying for parking. I'm going to be paying for fuel. The price of fuel is twice as much as it was just about anyway. I don't know the number. Are we all headed for a perfect storm of holy crap? Uh, The old world is about to kick back in with our new world spending plans.
3: Yeah, it's very possible. So you just described what the economists call deleveraging. I've I've, I've paid off debt. And so, again, there will be people who've been able to pay off debt. They will be in a better position going forward. I think the real question is how much behavioral change has actually happened. Mm-hmm. So you just described the exact experience everybody listening to this can identify with. So, okay, I haven't been able to go to restaurants, so I've actually learned how to cook. Right. You know, maybe not Gordon Ramsey or whatever, yeah. but you know, it's I can great. crack workable. Yeah, yeah. It's workable. I can crack a couple of eggs and, and you know what? There are some advantages to cooking at home. There's no travel time, you know, boom, we sit down, we eat and and we're good. So, Will that, will those new habits continue? Or will it be the exact opposite where it's, okay, I can finally go out. I'm going crazy, man. I'm not just going to the fast food restaurant. I'm going to the best ones. I'm getting the, the good bottle of wine. I'm going on a really good vacation, not just driving up to the campground. No, I'm getting on an airplane. I don't know. My suspicion is that Everybody's different. There will be some people kind of like your, I don't know, great grandparents who lived through the depression, you know, the, the the one in the, you know, the before the war, it was like, well, that changed me for life. I, I was a penny pincher for the rest of my life. Is that the way it's going to be for some people going forward? Sure. But the difference now is we all, all have these pieces of plastic in our pocket, in our wallet, which allow us to spend a lot even when we don't have it. So is there pent-up demand? Are people going to start spending like crazy when this is all over? Some people certainly will. The fall is going to be very interesting. Assuming, you know, we're all able to be out there doing sort of normal things again, I think there will be some people who will certainly spend a lot more. But I think there will will be, you know, probably the minority, but there will be people who say, you know what? I've learned to live on less. I've learned to, you know, wear my hair long, you know? And I'm just, I'm going to take advantage of these new habits I've created and I'm going to keep some money in the bank.
1: Well, there's an awful lot of people that have stopped coloring their hair. That's for sure. I learned how to do it at home. I mean, that's a real life example of that. I, I go to this place though, Doug, just to be specific in the spirit of being specific. I haven't really purchased new clothes in a year and a half. My waistline is not the same as it was pre-COVID. So I know that when I go back to the office Uh, Not only am I going to need new pants, I'm going to need a new belt. And that doesn't even put any of the emotional buying, shopping, rack it up on the credit card mentality to it.
3: Well, and if you had a kid who was three years old at the start of the pandemic, they're two feet taller now. Right. And so you know absolutely kids who perhaps didn't you know weren't out going to school over the last number of months and in september are going to school yeah it's going to be a completely new wardrobe for them and might not even be able to use hand-me-downs from their older sibling because they've outgrown those already too so um it it will be interesting and, and you mentioned going back to the office okay how's that going to work is everyone going back to the office five days a week Or are companies going to say, well, you know what? We're going to, I mean, everybody's set up to work from home because they've all been doing it for 16 months. Maybe we do this gradually. Maybe everybody comes back two or three days a week. There are some companies who will never have people come back to the office. Their leases were up. They gave the space back. Everyone's working from home. So, how is it going to work in the future? I don't know. But that will depend. That will determine how your spending works. If you're back in the office five days a week, I guess you're going to have to buy five shirts you're only going back two days a week. Well, you know, maybe I can get by with one or two. So a lot of unknowns.
1: Yeah, I can see that. That's a great, a great uh look at it in general. So how do we know then, Doug? I mean, aside from uh, I guess, which way do you want to go next? Do we go into the conversation about how do we rope it in and get a grip on it? Some of those uh, conversation tools? Or do we talk about it from the perspective of how do we know when the breaking point is it's time to get help?
3: Well, let's do the second one first, then. So I think you as an individual know. So the, the people who come into my office, I ask them, so okay, these debts didn't just come into being yesterday. They were there yesterday and the day before. Why was it today that you called me? Why did you reach the breaking point today? And the answer often is, well, I'm I've used up all the credit limit on my credit cards. I can't, you know, borrow from one to you know get a cash advance from one to pay the other. So I've, I've lost that ability. The other reason is now I'm getting creditor calls. Right. So the collection agencies are phoning me. Canada Revenue Agencies phoning me because I'm behind on my taxes because 9 million people got CERB last year and they owe taxes on that. Right. So the whole bunch of, of possible reasons. So that will be the, the telltale sign. I can tell you on the ground right now, collection agents are not as – um, aggressive as they were two years ago, primarily because they're all working from home too. They don't have access to the same technology and telephone systems and there's rules. They got to you know, have privacy and so on and so forth. So they have not done as much collecting. So that pressure isn't there. And they also know that if you're not back to work yet, what's the point in calling and bugging you? You don't have any money anyways. The other huge factor is that Canada Revenue Agency, the tax man, has not started aggressive collection activity yet. They're sort of laying back and saying, okay, we know everybody is, is still getting back to work. All of their people, well, most of their people are still working from home. And I mean, if you want the conspiracy theory, well, we're heading into an election, aren't we? Sometime mm. in the next few months. Well, it's true. So does the federal government want to take a really heavy hand as we're emerging from this pandemic being very aggressive with tax collection, or are they going to st- sort of ease off for a number of months? I think the answer is they're going to ease off, which means the pressure on the individual person isn't anywhere near as great as it has been in the past, even though maybe our debts are higher. So I think the breaking point for a lot of people may not come this summer or even this fall. It may be into the winter. It may be next year. It'll be it'll be different for everyone.
1: We called it the tip of the iceberg in the finances and the business market, too, of what's going to make it, what's not. Would you say that that's accurate?
3: Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, tip of the iceberg, meaning we don't know what's underneath. And, and we don't. We just, we just don't. Um, there will be some people who they were, I don't know, 60 years old when the pandemic started working at the restaurant, and now they're 62. What are they going to do? Are they going to go back to work? Or are they just going to say, ah, you know what, L- let me collect my CPP and my OAS, and I'm just going to ease into retirement now. So those people, even if they have a bunch of debt, don't really need to do anything because what's anyone going to do to them? Everybody's everybody's situation is different. So on the other hand, if your house went up in value, maybe you remortgage it, interest rates are low, you pay off your debts and you're good. So it, it'll it be very interesting to see how it, how it all plays out.
1: Uh, Doug Hoyes is a licensed insolvency trustee, which would lead me to the question of what's the benefit? of, uh, coming to an organization like Hoy's, uh, Michaelos, Michaelos and, um, Michaelos Michaelos, and, uh, you know, what's the, what's the benefit of going in? Is it uh, waving the white flag, emitting defeat and, you know, giving up everything you've always known, or is there light at the end of that tunnel?
3: Well, the, the first benefit is understanding what your options are. So when I've got some medical problem, I go talk to the doctor and sometimes the doctor says, oh, it's really serious. we got to do this. But other times it's, oh, you know what? You got to load this, take this pill and you're you're going to be good. So more than half of the people who contact us don't need to go bankrupt or file a consumer proposal. There are other options. They can, you know, cut some spending, refinance, whatever. So the first benefit is understanding what your options are, because that takes half the stress out of it right there. The next benefit is, yeah, there are actual solutions. And so the reason that my profession is no longer called bankruptcy trustees, we're called licensed insolvency trustees, as you said earlier, is because more people in Canada now file a consumer proposal than a bankruptcy. And a consumer proposal is a deal. It's a deal we work out with the people you owe money to. So, the typical person who comes in to see me might have forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars worth of unsecured debt—credit cards, payday loans, income taxes, that sort of thing. They can't pay it, but they can pay something. You know, they can't pay two thousand bucks a month to service all this debt, but they could pay maybe two, three, four hundred bucks a month. Okay, so we go to the people you owe money to, and we say, "Okay, here's the deal, guys." Mr. Big bank, Mr. Big credit card company. I'm I'm willing to pay two or 300 bucks a month for the next, let's say five years. And you wipe out all the rest. What do you say? And of course the big banks say, we want all our money because how can we make a billion dollars a month if you don't pay all your, your debts <laughs> plus
1: interest? I'm glad he said that.
3: And um, like not all the banks make a billion dollars a month, but the, the biggest one certainly does. So and the, the answer is, well, if you don't take this deal, I guess the other stop on the train is I go bankrupt and you're going to get a whole lot less. So I would like to pay you something. Can we work out a deal? And most of the time, we are able to work out a deal because something is better than nothing. And most people don't want to go bankrupt. They know they owe the money. And it's, it's very satisfying because all parties at the end of the day go, well, we're not happy this happened, but we worked something out. We came up with a plan that's reasonable for everyone. And people tell me there is a huge feeling of relief at the end. You know, it's not fun going to the dentist and it's not fun having your, your tooth filled, but at the end of it, the toothache is gone. Yeah. So, you know what? I actually feel better now and I can get on with my life. That's the the big benefit of dealing with it.
1: Screw up your credit. And I guess if the old credit card company is probably not going to want to do business with you anytime soon.
3: Well, yes and no. So in Canada, each year there's roughly, well, I mean, over the last 12 months, there's been about 100,000 people who have filed a bankruptcy or consumer proposal. That was lower than the year before, which was more like 125,000. So you figure over the last 10 years, it's been well over a million Canadians who have filed a bankruptcy or consumer proposal. Are the banks just going to say, oh, we're never going to deal with those people again? No, that's a massive market. It's a million people. So- They are more than happy to deal with you again, provided you can demonstrate that you have rehabilitated yourself. So, okay, I finished my proposal. I cleaned up my debts. And now I've started, you know, I'm I'm saving some money. I don't have all those debt payments, so I can actually keep up with things. So you are generally able to rebuild. You start with perhaps a small credit card or something like that. And so long as you don't go crazy with it, then yes, absolutely. You can, you can rebuild. I've had thousands of clients over the years who've done a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. And, you know, at some point in the future, they're able to finance a car, buy a house again. Hmm. So, um, it is not the end of the line because our economy would crash if it was.
1: It's remarkable perspective, Doug. And I hope that we can tap into this again, because the, I'm not alone in this, needs to be heard by so many people that coming out of the pandemic with, like you said about, sir, I didn't even think about CERB coming into the conversation and the taxes that are pending. I was just sort of thinking about just the bad spending habits. Um, so we're going to go through this again and again and again. And I, my perspective is tip of the iceberg on failure here, not failure as in a bad way, but just literally as unable to complete. So, um, It's a conversation, I think it really matters, man. I appreciate it, Doug, for the insight. it's, It's important for people to know that they're not alone.
3: No, they aren't. And this is not something we talk about. Well, obviously, you and I are talking about it. But it is not something you talk about with your buddies when you're, you know, having a beer like we used to do or having a Zoom meeting like we do now. It's it's not something you talk about. You'll talk about everything else. You'll talk about that medical issue or that other problem you've got. But you never say to your buddy, oh, yeah, I'm in over my head on this because that's kind of embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize that your buddy, your friend, your family member is probably in the same situation or has experienced as, it as well. So I agree with you. The first step is to, is to talk about it because that's how we can start coming up with solutions.
1: Uh, Doug Hoy's licensed insolvency trustee in Ontario uh, conversation that graduates all across the country to Hoy's and Michaela, Michaelos. God, sorry, buddy Hoy's and Michaelos is the organization where you can reach out and grab Doug. Um, really appreciate the time and the insight, bud.
3: Thanks very much, Shane. It's the shift podcast. We are about to get into uh, the world of weird things with our,
0: our good buddy, Greg fish. The only thing, missing from the world of weird things is uh is shane uh, shane usually likes to get on the rocket ship and fly there with greg but i think shane is currently flying back to his desk with a cup of coffee in his hands
1: What? i was busy oh here he is nice see okay, you to there you show go up. Hey, welcome back successful landing all right all right did you introduce greg Not yet, we haven't done the thing yet. We're waiting for you. You're the captain. Get back in the captain's chair. (sighs) Why do I always have to drive? Can't it be shotgun? (sighs) It's time for the World of Weird Things. Welcome Welcome to the World of Weird Things with Greg Fish. Greg
2: Fish, how are you, my friend? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Uh, Apparently late. (laughs) Well, you know, you have to drive. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. If you're in charge, you've got to be there. Guts. Oh,
1: I had to go get my puffer. The smoke was getting to me. Such is life these days. Most Canadians are feeling the fire smoke. So, Greg Fish, all of the billionaires are going to space. Maybe they're getting kidnapped and sent back as robots. Where are we going with worldofweirdthings.com?
2: So we're going to go to a somewhat esoteric place, uh, but I've seen this particular idea start showing up in a lot of popular science shows, so I thought it might be a good idea to address it. The topic itself is whether any aliens that we'll meet will turn out to be robots powered by artificial intelligence and not like actually organic intelligence Things like us, like what we typically tend to think of as, you know, these big headed, smart, gray or green aliens.
1: That makes sense. You would think if they were smart enough to come here, they would send somebody else.
2: Well, yes and no. So here's the thing now we are sending robots to Mars and we're sending probes around the solar system, and we have a couple that are leaving the solar system right now. So the idea is. Machines are more adaptable to space. They don't really we can reprogram them in flight. They don't really need a lot of resources. So an alien species would do the same thing. And then eventually they would those robots would need to problem solve. They need to invent some sort of artificial intelligence. Eventually this artificial intelligence just takes over and it becomes the life form. While the Aliens themselves are left on whatever homeworld or any nearby basis that they that they would have because they don't want to make the journey. Just like we don't necessarily want to make the journey because we won't be able to. Now, there's a lot of assumptions loaded in that scenario, and it's usually passed off as okay. Well, this makes sense because this sounds like something we would do. But uh, there's one teeny tiny little caveat to that: we don't know what the aliens would do. We don't know anything about their physiology. We don't know anything about how they think. We don't know anything about their culture. We don't know anything about their technology. They might Mm -hmm. decide to do this. They might not. And the other issue is that a lot of the conversation around artificial intelligence talks about, oh, well, in the future, we'll have robots that can do all these things. But that's far from a given. A lot of artificial intelligence that seems like really cutting edge and demos and and press releases. And we think that, oh, you know we're going to have these amazing tools to do all these things. A lot of them tend to actually fail in real life because in the lab, they were given really well narrow designed problems. And then they get out into the real world with all the messy implications of that and all the interference. And a lot of these models just end up blowing up and being discarded. So we actually end up with Far fewer AI applications than we think we even have. And we just don't really hear about them because it's really not, you know, a big uh, magnet for clicks to say, yeah, well, this really promising model kind of didn't do its job. So, yeah.
1: When you say, this got me thinking to your point, we've got these robots, you know, that are flying outside the solar system, you know, flying around, checking stuff out. Is that kind of what you mean, though? In all this, that maybe that's the way that people are—you know, the aliens. You know, E.T.'s is going to look down; they're going to see this archaic little, you know, flying cube, and think, "Ooh, the aliens are here!" And it's going to be one of our little robot, you know, drone guys out there. I've just sort of think, flipped that backwards to your point.
2: Yeah, I think that I think that's probably that's probably true, but that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the idea that. At some point, AI becomes the aliens that we meet. Like they, like AI becomes oh. its own thing and its own culture, oh. and it kind of overshadows its original creators. Um, a oh, lot of these okay. ideas, yeah, a lot of these ideas have actually been derived from philosophers who are big fans of the so-called singularitarian movement, who believe that an AI that's super intelligent is imminent, and because AI can learn much faster than we can. It would become smarter than us, and the same thing will happen to any other species that develops AI because it's a mathematical certainty. The problem is, as someone who actually works with computers, um, if anything that these people have said was true, then Wikipedia would be our overlord right now. We would all be worshipping Wikipedia as our one lord and master. That's like... We what we know well, it turns how to out do we're with,
1: actually worshiping Facebook uh, and well, the information shared on Facebook.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, that that's that's a separate topic. I I I think we need to. I need. I think we can save that for an entire night because I can kind of <laughs> just go on a on a complete tangent with us uh, with that. Uh, but uh, very importantly, when it comes to AI, what we know how to do with AI is we know how to make itself very um, clear, very well-understood problems very efficiently and accounting for you know, a number of factors that can make the logic a little fuzzy. What we can't do is we can't just let an AI grow exponentially and absorb new and new and new knowledge because then what starts happening is that it starts erroring out it starts becoming unpredictable because all of a sudden the solution that it tries to come up with is far too complicated for the model, the way that it's been set up. So it kind of crashes. You know, when we talk about AI, we're talking about models and series of models and how we want them to interact. We're not necessarily talking about one big omni intelligence, but that's how a lot of the proponents of this idea that, you know, aliens are going to, all aliens are going to be AI. And if we ever meet intelligent life, it'll actually be, artificially intelligent robots that have taken on their own evolution and are now kind of like masters of their own fate. They they don't understand that this, this is how it actually works, that there's a lot of shortfalls with that idea. So what I think is very likely to happen is we will encounter machines that are made by aliens if we spend enough time searching and we go far enough into space and enough time passes and we're lucky enough. Um, that's you know That's going to be like 95% of our initial encounters, but there's always going to be that alien intelligence that created them because these machines will need a lot of oversight. They'll need a lot of help solving problems, and it's very likely that those life forms also venture out further and further as their machines go further and further. It might take them. You know, much longer, or it might take them much shorter. They might live for a very long time, so they don't really necessarily care about the time that it takes to travel to a distant, uh, to a distant solar system. We don't know that, but we can probably say, looking at the limitations of AI, looking at that the limitations of computing, we can say that where we're going to have intelligent robots that are not made by humans the species that created it is still going to be around.
1: Okay. So if AI becomes its own thing, when does time travel and Sarah Connor step into this? Because that's what it's starting to sound like.
2: Well, good news. AI is almost certainly not going to become its own thing.
1: Okay. That's encouraging.
2: And I think we're good for the time travel part because the paradoxes will keep us from altering the timeline. (laughs) We'll just be doing the same thing again and again and again and again to ever more dwindling box office returns.
1: (laughs) That's very good. Okay. So we are talking about, uh, it's worldofweirdthings.com, by the way, and Greg Fish. And so uh, who do we... Do we become slaves in this scenario uh, if it were to happen with the alien? Because, I mean, you say it's not going to happen for us, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen over there at the neighbor's place.
2: Well, you you know, the interesting thing is we kind of are already somewhat subservient to our own machines because they run a lot of the, like, calculations that power the stock market and trading. So we kind of, and, you know, we, we have a lot of, Automated HR coming down the pipeline. So we sort of have created our own like little ov- robot overlords who we serve. It's just that humans still own them. So we have that, we, we sort of feel like, okay, well, we're, we're kind of not enslaved by machines. But at the same time, we kind of do take our marching orders from machines more often than we probably should if we, <laughs> if we start looking at how we've set things up.
1: I mean that makes total sense. So we're, you, well, I guess we're playing in this game already. Although nobody, nobody's coming in. Like there's no machine that's coming in and saying, "By the way, everybody who lives in Winnipeg, you are now all farmers because we need more food, or else all these slave humans are going to die."
2: Well, the thing is, there have actually been ideas by certain philosophers and thinkers of doing exactly that, where you have this one big machine in charge of how the entire economy should run and it would decide who does what based on its inputs. And this is a wildly impractical idea for the simple reason that it, you can't really program a machine to look into the future effectively. And it might say everyone who lives in Winnipeg are now farmers and then two weeks later, it goes, no, wait, no, 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 back up, back up. Everyone's making aircraft parts. And then a week later, no, hold on. Um, I meant dams. So that's not going to be very sustainable. What's going to end up happening is you're, you're still going to have humans ru- kind of running the show from above, but through a lot of mechanical intermediaries where what might happen is at some point a, a lot of people – whose jobs don't involve a lot of face-to-face human contact might really just get automated emails about okay this is your next task or this is your automated performance review or this is or you're fired sorry the the, the algorithm made that decision or you're hired another algorithm likes you that is that's actually one of those unfortunate possibilities and I could absolutely see like other creatures that kind of you know, trust machines a little bit too much, and think that they've created like the perfect uh, the perfect AI. Kind of falling for their own BS, and really kind of self enslaving to their automatons. Kind of like we're sort of slowly doing to ourselves. Wow, that got, I was, oh, that got a little darker than I wanted. Than I wanted it to be. Yeah, that got <laughs> a lot is,
1: darker. I was waiting was for a Trump be- comment at the end of that one.
2: No, that was, this was supposed to be a, 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 more fun topic, but I guess I went a little bit grim with this one.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting because I hear a couple of things. Number one, I find it surprising that a guy who grew up in Eastern Ukraine that would say that digital version of communism is impractical. I would have thought you would have had a little bit more, uh, hard line on no thanks than impractical. Um, but I mean, it does sound a little bit like the Borg.
2: No, I was I was trying to be gentle. No, it would be really, really stupid. We would we would all suffer immensely. We would be living. if you want to live under a computer's five year plan, you're gonna be in a lot of trouble and we should never ever do that ever.
1: What about stocks, Greg? Like well, the market. You said algorithms and then all of yeah. there's so many people out there that are are following the algorithms of the stocks because, the I mean, the AI is doing a great job at reading the stock market. It re- gobbles up all the news stories. It gobbles up all the press releases and starts to create the this is what's going to happen results for people to buy stocks.
2: Well, yes and no. It Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. The stock market, unfortunately, is almost completely untethered from reality at this point. It's basically just momentum trading and gossip and fear and different people's games uh, a lot you know people share oh let's buy a bunch of this stock on social media and the bots start buying all the stock that's been mentioned on social media and it, it really everyone has their different strategy it and it doesn't it no longer really even relates to a company's health anymore it's just 100 percent a, a casino for people who have the money to invest in it. And, and that's really all there's to it. And it's unfortunate to say that, but that's what it is.
1: Well, it used to be emotional buying. Now it's trend. The gossip yeah. part is good. I like that. That's a good word. Um, you know, it's gossip buying, which it always, everyone always had the,
2: Hey, did you hear about this stock?
1: I mean that, but it wasn't this fast. Um, okay. And so yeah, you very say good
2: that- at following trends, that's kind of, yeah. that's kind of its thing.
1: Yeah. Well, that's really what it is, right? Um, okay, so you said that these aliens coming down to Earth, most likely not going to be mechanical, probably biological. So, how you know how would how would they use the machines? How would they get here? And if if you're going to talk about back to the basics of you know humans being humans, I can't imagine the universe not having you know humanity in it. But I guess there's an awful lot of books out there that say that other life forms could be incredibly linear in the whole theory that math is the secret to understanding the universe. So there's all kinds of different philosophies out there.
2: Well, math is a good way to understand the universe. I don't know if it's necessarily a way to explain the universe or predict anything. It's just a good way to to understand things and describe them in a nice abstract way. Um, As as far as aliens uh, ever coming to Earth, I think they would absolutely send their robotic emissaries first to see what you know, what it's like here, because let's remember, um, you know, we breathe uh, oxygen and it's very important for us to survive, to breathe oxygen, because that's how we evolved. But oxygen is corrosive. And for other species, it might be, you know, poisonous. So they have to develop the right life support systems or they have to um, adjust their life support systems to deal with our gravity, with our air which might be, you know, our gravity might be a little bit too light for them or too heavy. Our air might be poison. Uh, There may be, you know, they need to protect themselves potentially from some bacteria. It's very unlikely that bacteria will necessarily attack them because it might not be able to um, actually, like, consume them the way that, or coexist with them the way that it does with us because it's, you know, alien biochemistry. Uh, but at the same time, maybe there's a possibility that there's some shared origin here or there, and they will want to protect themselves. So they're going to send the machines first. They're going to try and figure out what it would take to survive on the planet, on our planet, and whether they actually want to do it. And then they would eventually probably want to come. You, can, you know, obviously, based on how uh, how we meet their robot emissaries? Because if we get a little bit too hostile, they might say, "Well, we're not going to this place. They have nukes."
1: Yeah, or they have Jeff Bezos. Um, it's pick on Jeff Bezos Day. Have you read the book The Humans by Matt Haig? It's fiction, but it's really great. In this no, conversation, I,
2: no, I have not. I've I've heard about it, but I have not actually got a chance to read it
1: i wreck i thoroughly enjoyed it i didn't think i would it was given to me by a friend recommended by a friend and i did and if this this conversation that that greg is talking about about aliens coming down to earth what does that look like this is a fantastic look at just the possibility that other life forms would function completely differently than than we do. I realize it's hard to imagine that any other life form could survive without coffee in a drive-thru, but it turns out uh, if you open your mind just for the fun of fiction books, yeah, it turns out they don't need the drive-thru the way we do.
2: Okay. But if you can't get coffee at a drive-thru or coffee in general, what's the point of living? (laughs)
1: That's very true. It's very true. Greg Fish, worldofweirdthings.com. It's a blog. It's a podcast. There's so much more. All of these articles and so many more on there as well. Thanks so
2: much, Fish. Always a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.